Amen. All right, so let me give you a heads up about today. For those of you who are note takers, you're going to want to write small, okay? Because you're going to need a lot of room. There's a lot that's going to come at you over the next 40 minutes or so. And I would also encourage you, if you're a note taker, just to give up at certain points and take your camera up out of your phone and just take a picture of what you're trying to take the notes on because it's going to come. The second warning I have for you is that probably sometime this morning, you're going to say the word ouch. You're not going to say it out loud. You're just going to say it inside of yourself because something's going to happen. Something's going to be said that's going to make you think of something in your own life. And I want you to know it's not my fault. Okay? It's really, it's, it's, it's not about what I'm trying to make you feel. It's just that it's going to happen. So when that happens, make a note of it, but don't get stuck there. Keep, keep moving. Because here's today's deal, the dangerous deal. We are going to be tempted in life to trade away our character for something. And we shouldn't trade our character for anything. The, 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 the character that we have who we are is so important. So that's what we're going to be wrestling with today. I want to show you a list of qualities. And don't say it out loud, but I want you to try to figure out where this list came from. Okay, so, so just kind of look at the list. And when you get it, when you go, I think I know where this list came from, just give me a hand like this. You know where it, where it came from. Okay, so someone with their hand up, go ahead and say out loud, where did it come from? Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts. Ah, it came from scouting. How gender biased are you? All right? But Boy Scouts came up with it first because they existed first in 1908. Yeah, this is, what is it called? It's kind of like the oath or the law, scout law or something. I can't remember. I was in scouting. Uh, I had to leave because I didn't measure up to these qualities. (laughs) um, I took up hockey. It wasn't good enough for that, so they made me stop playing that. So trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind. I remember memorizing these things. Obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. It came from the Boy Scouts. And what I started to wrestle with was, that's like, that's their oath or their law. And parents were putting their children into scouting in the droves in the 60s and, and earlier. And the question is why? And the answer, I think, is because every parent wants that for their kids. It's character. It's it's the qualities that we hope our children will make real in their lives, in in their own hearts. And it's what we hope other people will be as they interact with us. It's just a character list, and it's a pretty good one. And here's the thesis of today. There is nothing worth giving those things away for. There's nothing worth giving away your character for something else. Compromises in character damage us. It creates a slow motion avalanche of destruction. That's not something I'm just telling you. That is something that scripture teaches over and over again. Proverbs 11 verses 3 and 5. Honesty, a character trait, right? Guides good people. So people with good people, that would be people with character. Honesty guides people with character. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Treacherous people are those without character those people who are making compromises in their character. The godly are directed by honesty. Right? People with godly character are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. It's going to destroy them. They're going to fall. There is nothing worth giving away our character, my character or your character. Now, that's the, those are the words. I need to give you a visual. So I'm going to give you a one-minute video. And what I want you to see is you're going to see, and you'll get it, it's, you're going to see something that represents character. You'll know right away that's representing character. And then you're going to see character start to leak away. And then you're going to see what happens as it goes on. Watch this. My word. 
many of you were thinking the whole time, back up, <laughs> please, please back up, right? So the character, you see it start to leak off of this glacier as the glacier is being pushed forward by the massive glacier, and we're watching it again. Um, so let's go. There's nothing worth giving away our character. And what happens eventually is the whole thing falls apart, and that's, that would be us. The people having it spray is everybody we know. And the closer they are to our collapse, the more collateral damage will take place. I didn't show you the whole video. They had to call emergency people to help people who got hit by ice and falling stuff from that. They were too stinking close, and it was a major, major fall. There is nothing worth letting that happen. There's nothing worth trading it away. Now, let me give you one more little, this is kind of a warning about today that I snuck in a different place. It's guilt versus conviction. Today, I think there's potential for you to feel both of those things. So let me show you the difference. The guilt part is the trip that pastors like me would send you on. Right? We'll tell you all these things, and if you don't measure up in any of them, you leave with a load of, I'm not good enough, God doesn't love me, there's no hope for me. Why would, that pastor is so righteous and so holy, and he's got it together, and I'm nothing. If you get that today, I'm not trying to do it. I'm just gifted. Okay, so don't, don't, I don't want you to leave. My goal is not for you to leave feeling less valuable, less good, less anything than when you came in this morning, right? Conviction, conviction is not from a pastor. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. And it's God coming along saying, and he's not saying, you aren't good enough. Don't you realize how bad you are? What God would say to us is, come on, let's work on this one. Come on, you can be so much more. I didn't create you for this. I created you for something better. And it has hope to it. See, most of us think if God called us into a private meeting, he would just ream us up and down. He would tell us about all the things we're doing wrong because we have this image of God that all he cares about is the list of right things to do. And we're locked into this God is our judge view. Is he our judge? Absolutely. But Jesus said he's our father. You know what fathers want? They want character for their kids. Because it's, it's the best. It's the best for them. It pleases God because he loves us. So when I started thinking about character, I started to review what definitions have I heard of what character is. And there's some good ones I've heard. The first one I've heard was who I am. Like who I really am. Right? And then someone brought that into sharper focus. They said, no, it's not just who I am. It's who I am when no one is looking. It's who I am when I look to the left and to the right and then whatever I engage in next, that shows my character or my, my lack of character. Right? But we can still expand it more. I think character is my ability to do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. Can I make that choice? This is, by the way, one of the things we're going to talk about parenting next week. This is one of the things we want to teach our kids. We want to get them away from just doing, you know, things that they want to do whenever they want to do it. We want them to learn to do the right thing when it's the hard thing, when it takes longer, when it's a, a, a less direct route, when it's not instant gratification. Character reveals to the degree, the degree to which I believe that God's ways are best. So let me just talk about me for a moment. Every single time I've made compromises in my life, and over and over and over again, right, I've made compromises to my character. Every time I do it, I'm saying to God, I don't believe you. I think what I want right now, even though I know you're saying wait for it or not yet or do it a different way, 
a, a harder way. Every time I say no to you, I'm saying I'm smarter than you are and I know what's best for me. It's not that I don't want you in my life, God. I just don't want you to inconvenience my life. I don't want you to be my Lord. I want you just to be, no, I just want to go to heaven someday. But I don't want to submit to you because I don't really trust you. I don't really believe your ways are best. That is, to this day, every time I make a choice that I know is in opposition to what God would want me to choose. So why is God so concerned with our character? And I think I already gave you the answer to this. It's because he loves us. Because he wants to coach us up. Because he wants us to experience things that, that are better for us. And they can only be found through the hard road of character. See, I think that God would tell us that men and women with character get the best lives. It's not that they're just the most God-honoring. It's not that they're just good scouts. They get the best lives. It, it, it pays off. So in the Bible, there's this guy named Daniel. He lived 600 years before Jesus. He was in kind of a unique position because the Babylonian Empire came in and conquered all of Israel. Right? And then later, the, the Medes and the Persians got together and they conquered the Babylonians. Well, lost in the mix are the Israelites. The Israelites were conquered and they were taken to Babylonian exile. And then when the Persian Empire came and defeated the Babylonians, now they're in Persian exile. And Daniel is one of those people. He was on, on, on the seam. He was part of the Babylonian exile, living as an Israelite in Babylonia. But then when the Persians took over, now he's... Um, in the same place, but in Persia, with the Persian king. And you get to go through about three kings when you read the book of Daniel. And they're kind of abrupt. When you Go read it for yourself. It's a fascinating book. But you, he goes from one king to the next king. In chapter 6, he goes to his third king. His name was Darius, and he was a Mede, so part of the Persian Empire. And, the, and Darius was in charge of everything. So here's what it says in chapter 6. Remember, Daniel is a is an exile, he's a Jew, he's not a Persian, he's part of the subclass, not the ruling class. Okay? Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Now, if you're a Mede or a Persian, and you're a Persian king, who are you going to appoint? Well, the natural inclination was we want to have people that are Persians, Medes. We want to put those people in charge. The king also chose Daniel a Jew, and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. So somehow there's 120 leaders and Daniel is placed over a portion of those leaders and two other guys. So, you know, maybe it was like 40, 40, 40 that they're each taking, but they're, they're kind of ruling over. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and the high officers. He's just a gifted leader. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So now Daniel's going to be promoted to like second hand to the king over all 120 and the leaders over each subcategory. Then the other administrators, they didn't like this. The high officers began searching for some fault in the ways of, of Daniel and the way he was handling the governmental affairs. In other words, they wanted to assassinate his performance and his character. Right? Doesn't that make sense? This is politics. They're going to they're gonna undermine each other for leadership and they're going to throw Daniel uh, to the lions, basically, right? But let's not get ahead. But then they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. 
So when this was written down, it was written down for the Jewish people. It was written down for Jewish parents to read to their kids. Right? And it was true. It was true. But don't you think when they wrote that, that there's this little bit of be like Daniel, kids? Be, how would he want us to be like Daniel? He was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. He was a scout. He didn't look to the left and the right and do something wrong. He did the right thing no matter who was watching or who wasn't watching. Be like Daniel. So anyway, they concluded that their only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion, pitting his allegiance to God against his allegiance to the king. And I'm going to let you go to Daniel chapter 6 and read the rest of the story for yourself. I always want to encourage you to read your Bibles. So sometimes I just tell you a little part of the story, hoping that you'll go read the rest of the the story on your own. Here's the point for today. Men and women with character get the best lives. Right? Why did Daniel get promoted? It's because of his character. It's because he couldn't find any fault and the abilities that God gave him. So he just climbed up the ladder because the king wanted him to go up because he had proved himself in his character. Character is always better than lack of character. It always leads to a better life, greater things. So I want to talk about character because this is not just a Christian thing. This is just a life thing, right? People who have character, honesty, integrity, all the Boy Scout things, trustworthy, loyal, cheerful, all of that, all of those things do better in life. And, and you go, well, why? Why do they do better? Because it seems like there should be some opportune moments to take those shortcuts, and it should pay off. So here's the first thing character does. It gives the opportunity for you to have a good reputation. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is what other people think you are, right? And so so if you're not going to hire a PR person to create a reputation for you, unless you're in politics, you probably aren't going to do that. What people will eventually, you hope they get to, or you hope they never find out, is who you are really. What's your real character? But that foundation of character has the best opportunity to become your reputation. Yes, I know people can make stuff up about you. I know that when you're in school, all someone has to do is start a rumor. Live longer. Have a bigger timeline. Your character will eventually win out over the lying that takes place. Your character will, your reputation and your character should come closer together over time. But a reputation is really an important thing. Right? We don't want to live for a false reputation. We don't, we don't want to live according to what people think. But the Bible says your reputation is really important. Proverbs 22.1 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Don't, take, don't make sacrifices for silver and gold that are going to dent your reputation. In other words, this comes back to character. Right? Don't do anything that would damage your character because eventually that will make it to your reputation. The truth always comes out. Protect your reputation by protecting your character. Character always leads to a change in your reputation over, over time. This isn't immediate. This is the long run. This is the solid foundation. When you gain those steps in your reputation, it starts to develop a, a, a trust in other people for you. If you're known as a person of high character, who tells the truth, who's loyal and faithful like Daniel, people are going to trust you. Your trust will be developed. Proverbs 22.11 says, Whoever loves a pure heart, that's a character thing, whoever loves a pure heart and gracious speech 
will have the king as a friend. And you read that and you go, what is that? What does that even mean? We don't even have kings. How do I apply that to my life? Well, here's what it means. It means rulers, those people in power, those people with authority, those people with resources, rulers are always looking for people they can trust. Any small business people in the room? Raise your hand if you're a small business person. You got employees, okay? Right? I promise you, if you're running a fast food restaurant, right? If you're running a small business retail, you need employees, you are looking for people you can trust. If you're a leader over anything, right, in any kind of organization, you're looking for people that you can trust because you can't run it by yourself. I'm, I'm the senior pastor. You know what I look for in employees when we, when we did a search to hire the people who are on our staff? The number one thing is I want people we can trust. I want people with, with character. If you're a parent, it's the thing you want for your kids. You want to be able to trust your kids, especially when they're like 15, 16 years old, and you're thinking about taking your wife maybe to like, I don't know, Hawaii for you know, your 25th anniversary. And the question comes up, when we go in February to Hawaii, can we trust our 15-year-old kid? You're looking for children you can trust. Or you're hiring a babysitter for a 15-year-old. Those are your choices. Grandma, grandpa. And then you have to ask this, can we trust them? The answer is not always yes, <laughs> right? Everyone is looking for someone they can trust. Let me just clue you one, one more little benefit, and it'll come back. To, if you're single, I promise you, the person you want to marry, you're going to be looking for someone you can trust, right? In fact, I have this theory that people, the higher your character is, the higher your, your qualifications of who you will marry will be. You will be looking for someone who has an equal character to you, right? So if you get involved, this amazes me, when, when people get involved in a, with another person through an affair, right, and then they get married, I'm thinking, how nuts is that? Because then when that person turns out that they're cheating on them, right, they're all surprised, They've already shown you their character by getting involved with you in the first place when they were married. How in the world do you expect them? You, come on, it's on the table. So you want to have high character and then you want to marry somebody with high character. Why? Because it will remove a ton of pain from your life. People with high character get better lives. They have better marriages. They raise better children. I'm sorry, it's just true. It. It flows through. The most important things in life come from this character element. Rulers are always looking for people they can trust. And you are a ruler, at least of your life. And you are looking for people, friends and spouses, that you can trust. Rulers always do, even God. Did you know that's what God is looking for? People he can trust. People he can entrust to do what he wants done in this world, to be his representatives in this world. He's looking for people he can trust. Now the problem with God is he knows he can't trust us. But he's developing us into people that he can trust. Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching. He tells the story. We call it the parable of the talents. Basically it's a, a leader or a businessman who is leaving town on a business trip and he entrusts three of his, three of his servants with talents. But when we hear the talents, it's not, we think of abilities. It's not that. It was bags of money, right? Large sums of money. He gave one a lot, and the next one, the medium amount, the last one, a little bit, right? 
that was a reflection of his trust in them to start with. That's why they got different amounts in the beginning. He leaves, and they all do different things with the money. The first two invest the money and, and double it. The last one just takes the money, buries it, because he thinks his, his master is a hard man to, to work for, and he just wants to give back penny for penny the money that he had. He didn't want to take any risk of making it better. And he didn't show any character. When, when the ruler, the businessman comes back, he says, how did you do? Give me back what's, what's mine. And the first two had doubled their, the talents, the money. And the last one gave back penny for penny. And I'll let you read it to see how God handled it. And it is a picture of God, um, the ruler. How the ruler, how God handled that. But I want you to hear what he said to the first two, the ones that were faithful, the ones that showed high character. The master, Jesus said, was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you hear the character? My good and faithful servant. Well done. You have been faithful in handling the small amount that you have. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Pause for a moment. I know what some of you are thinking. Why is he punishing him? Why is he giving him even more to do? They should be able to go on vacation now. It wasn't that. It was, now I trust you to make a bigger impact. Now I trust you to make a bigger difference. I'm going to give you the resources to do it. You have earned my trust, and now I'm going to treat you like the king treated Daniel. Right? I'm going to give you more opportunity, more, more chances. I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So obviously it was good because they were both celebrating, both the servant and the master. The, the servant, because I'm trusted, and, and the master, because he found someone he could trust. And it's a picture of God. So character leads to reputation and trust and opportunity. Right? Because when you're friends with the king, he has the power to give you more opportunity. And I don't know if you have this inside of you, but I want that. Right? I want opportunity. My problem, though, is I want opportunity as an entitlement. I want opportunity just to be given to me because, because I'm alive, because I'm here. I, and that's not how it works. It works with character and trust, and then opportunity comes. You kind of have to earn it and and be it in order to get it. But I just want it, it given to me, right? And the answer is it's, it's not. When Lori and I uh, finished our college degree, we, we went to work in the Dominican Republic. We couldn't find good jobs, so we went to the Dominican Republic. And we were house parents. It was a great job. It was an awful great job, Right? We got paid $50 a month. I mean, come on. It was, that's a bad job, right, at, at that point. But we got room and board. And we got the, uh, entrusted with 10 teenage boys living in our house. 10 teenagers who are Americans who flipped their parents off, slammed the door, said, I'm going to live the way I want to. And the parents reached out, grabbed them by the collar, said, not so fast. You're going to the Dominican Republic, and you're going to live with Doug. And they, they put him in the middle of nowhere in a third world country under my care, part of a larger organization with several homes and a school, right? So these were the, the kids we got. Now, when the kids came to our house, I would have a little pep talk with them. And I'd say, I want you to understand that I know why you're here. You are here because you've screwed up. You are here because you are not trustworthy. And because you're not trustworthy and because you've screwed up, we're going to start you off at what we call level zero. There's five levels, and you're at the very, very bottom. There's actually six levels, because zero, one, two, three, four, five. 
right? So you're at zero. What does that mean? It means you have zero responsibilities and I have zero expectations of you right now. And you have zero privileges, by the way, which is sort of painful for you. What you have to do is, before you enter any room, you have to ask my permission because I don't want you making big decisions on your own. Right? So, Doug, may I please enter the living room? Yes, you can enter the living room. Doug, may I please go to the restroom? Yes, you may go to the restroom. Doug, may I please re-enter the living room? Yes, you may re-enter the living room. Doug, may I go to the kit? You get the idea? Every, there's nothing worse than having zero-level students in your home because it wore me out answering the questions. But they got the idea that everything I do is being monitored, everything is, is bad, and they're going, why can't I start off at level five? Why don't you just trust me because I'm here and give me an opportunity? Why don't you just give me the opportunity? And the answer is because you've already screwed up and you've proven your character. You don't have any. If you had it, you wouldn't even be here. Right now, most organizations, when they bring kids in who are troubled, you know what they say to them? Oh, we know you've had a bad home life. Oh, we know that other people... We just think if we trust you, you will live up to it. So instead of starting at level zero, they start them at level five. Now, if you start off at level five with all the privileges and responsibilities, what is the only direction you can go? Down. When we start off at level zero... What is the no privileges, no responsibilities? What's the only level you, direction you can go? Up. Which one builds self-esteem, going up or going down? Which one at the end of the day is make a student stand up at the end of the program and say, I like who I am. I like what I see in the mirror. It's those who work their way up. It wasn't handed to them. They earned it. And you watch kids down there. And this is what I saw over and over again. Kids come to me looking at their feet and leave looking me in the eye. Right Now, did they all live perfect lives? Of course not. Some of them went back to the stupid that they came from, but for a while we had them, they felt good about themselves again. They've, they felt what God wants them to feel, that, that sense of self-worth that comes by connecting with God, but also by becoming a little bit more who God wants them to be, men and women of character. See, I want to hand it to me too. I'm just like a zero-level student. Why can't you just trust me? The answer is, I'm not trustworthy yet. I have to grow and, and, and become those things. So this is why character pays off. Character changes your reputation. Your reputation builds trust in others, and trust always brings opportunity. If you need some advice in your life, do you ever think, who can I go to that I don't trust to get that advice? Never, never. No one ever thinks that. Who... Who has a lower moral character than I do that I can help get guidance from? Am I, no one ever says that unless you want endorsement for your stupidity. If you want endorsement for your stupidity, you go to people equally stupid as you to get it. And that sounds ridiculous, but every single one of us have done it. We go to our peers. People who are doing the... We go to people at the party where we're being stupid it's because we want them to validate and endorse our stupidity, and we all feel equally good together. But no one's got a shred of character. Right? Character is, is the most important thing. It just is. Now, that's not the whole benefit list. Let me just give you some great rewards that come from character. These are more like a list thing. The first one is this. It's the mirror in the bed. You are going to like who you see in the mirror when you live a life of character, and you are going to sleep better in the bed when you live a life of character because when you make compromises, you give up the mirror and you give up the bed. Does that make sense? 
Next one. The respect of your spouse and kids. Right? There's nothing that hurts children more than seeing their parents make compromises in their character. Man, if you're, if you're a kid, I'm telling you this, if you're a kid and you saw your mom or your dad flirting with someone outside of the marriage, you saw them looking too long, you saw them flirting, you saw behavior, it makes you sick. Every time you think of it, it drains, a pit, it's a pit in your stomach, it just makes you feel horrible. It's, it's an awful thing. And that's, that's just one level. If you know they cheated on their taxes, if you know they ran their business with two sets of books, if you know that they made moral compromises or business compromises, or they said, you know what, the church is one thing and God is one thing, but then there's real life. You see th- that dichotomy. It takes away your confidence. It takes away your respect for your parents. I don't know about you. I want my, whatever happens with my kids, I want them to respect me. We can disagree about everything, and we probably do, but I want them to respect me. I also want them to know I'm loved, but that's not today's message, that they're loved. <laughs> All right? I, I want to know I'm loved too, but I want them to know that they're loved. <laughs> All right? Third one, ability to receive God's love. So no matter how bad you are, hear this, no matter where you are in the, I have no character, I've given it all up, I feel horrible today, right now, Doug, my heart is sinking as you're talking kind of stuff, I want you to know that God's love is not changing. He absolutely loves you with everything he has. He died on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you, as you are today. As you've been in the past, he loves you that much. But what does change is your and my ability to receive God's love. Because when we're not doing right, it's hard for us to engage in worship. It's hard for us to receive God's love. It's, it's not that we think we can be good enough for God, but when we know that we're not following and obeying, it's real hard to walk into church. And this is what behind Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Who may worship you in the sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? You know what God's answer to that is? Everybody may do it. I love everybody. They all can come and worship me. You know, in me, they're going to find forgiveness. In me, they're going to find a new identity. I love everybody. But he goes on, he says, Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Now, what's the problem with that? If only those people who live blameless lives, let's stop, stop there. Raise your hand if you've got a blameless life. And don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand because I don't want to mock you. All right, good. None of us. Nobody's qualified, but we're all invited. But when we know that we're making compromises in our lives in a way that God wouldn't want, we cannot do it. We cannot receive it the way we're supposed to receive it. And God still invites us, but we struggle. So we have to enter into forgiveness and then we have to change the direction of our lives called repentance. Right? So the ability to receive God's love is a great reward for those of us who are living and striving for character. And then influence. This is opportunity to influence others because people will seek you out. People will seek your advice. And you will be given more opportunity and entrusted by God for more, to make a bigger dent and more influence. Those aren't only the rewards. Those are also the stakes. Because all the things I said you get if you live a high character life, you lose if you don't. You will lose those things. This is what's at stake in your life, in my life, as we seek to be men and women of character. Now, let me give you some good news, because right now I think it's been a lot of data and maybe just a little oppressive. The good news about character is that God isn't looking for perfect people with perfect character. That's not who he's looking for. Do you know why he's not looking for those people? There aren't any. 
There's none. And Scripture is so clear about this. Psalm 14, 2-4, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. That's a moral character issue. No one does good, not a single one. And, and what's the point? God, God's not looking for perfect people with perfect character because there aren't any. If you're feeling beat up right now, just relax just a little bit. Take a breath. Because God's not looking for perfect people, right, with perfect character. He is looking for pursuit. He's looking for people who are chasing it, who want it, who want to become what they're not yet, who they aren't yet. They want to live the lives that they can't quite embrace yet. That next level of, of, of character. Psalm 15, excuse me, Proverbs 15, 9. The Lord detests the ways of the wicked. He detests the ways of the wicked. Those are people who don't give a rip about character. But he loves those who pursue godliness. He can't just love the godly because there aren't any, but he loves the people who pursue godliness chasing it. They know they'll never be perfect, but they want to become more than they are. God isn't looking for perfect people with perfect character. He's looking for people who will pray like David did. Remember David, a man of character, until he slept with another man's wife, Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and then he goes into repentance. Once once the cover-up is over, he goes into repentance, and he starts to pray, and he wrote Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, create in me, this is David's prayer, create in me a clean heart Oh God, bring me back to being the man I'm meant to be. Give me character again. Renew a loyal spirit to you, not to my impulses, to you within me. I am pursuing. I want to pray like this. I want to become that person. God isn't looking for perfect people with perfect character. He's looking for people who will grow and become. And I don't care where you are in your moral journey, in your character journey, you can become more. I can become more. That's the invitation of God. And here's the best news. God isn't looking for perfect people with perfect character. He's looking for us. He's looking for you. No matter how many times you've pushed God away, no matter how many times you've said, my way, not your not. no matter how many times you've said, God, I think I'm smarter than you, he's still looking for you. Come on. Do you really want to live like this? Do you really want this to be this, who you are? Don't, don't you want the rewards? Don't you want the opportunities, the influence? Don't you want your, your character to change so your reputation, so you get trusted, so I can give you opportunities, so that, so that you'll be a friend of a ruler and kings, and they'll put opportunities in your way? Let me remind you what character is. It's who I am when no one is looking. It's when I look to the left and look to the right, and it's what I do next when the coast is clear. It's my ability to do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. For me, that means sometimes I have to say not yet. I hate delaying gratification for me. Right? Some of you know there's things I want. A boat is one of them. A bigger boat. I got a boat. So it's really bad. I got a boat. I want a bigger boat. And I know that it's not yet because my bank account says not yet. Right? But I got to listen to my bank account and operate wisely. My ability to do the right thing when it's the hard thing. Character reveals to the degree to which I believe God's ways are best. It reveals my trust in God. Okay, I'm going to close this. We're getting near the end with just a little game called What's Missing. Okay, because I want you to engage in this. Here it is. 
this is the Boy Scout list, and it's not complete. So look at the list for a moment. What's missing? Nope, those are all things that are character, but it's a good guess. God pursuing. Yep, so they got reverent up there, which I think was their way of saying that. What? Love. Love didn't make the list. That's why no Boy Scout ever loves anyone. (laughs) It wasn't on the list. Right? Love. And some of you say, well, that's not really a moral issue. Yes, it is. This is a character. Am I a loving person? I want to tell you a story. It's how my dad fell in love. When you hear that, you're probably thinking, oh, it's going to be about him and his, his first wife, Marnie, my mom. And the answer is no. Oh, it's going to be about him and Mary, my stepmom. The answer is no. It's not about that. It's not about romance. It's about how my dad literally fell in love. He's 87 and a half years old. Some of you know, just before Christmas, he biffed it right on his face. We, I've, you know, I'm almost a little angry with him because if he just would have used the walker, but it's not like any kids ever told him to use the walker, right? But he fell, needless to say, 87 and a half years old. He falls, he hits his head, he goes into the hospital. He's near, really near death for a while. They revive him, he's stable. But guess what? His head is messed up. His brains aren't doing well, right? He, he, he plays cards, so he wants, to, Dad, look, let's play solitary. He takes the black four and tries to put it on the red queen. You can't do that. It goes on a, the four goes on a five, right? You know the solitary game I'm talking about. So that's just like how low is, he can't remember one day or the next. In all of that, he starts to recover. He, by the way, he can't speak sentences. He can't move his body. He can't get out of bed. It's It's a disaster. He is not a vegetable, but he's not much more. He's just an educated vegetable, right? A little bit. A little bit's there. The light is dim and flickering, right? So, Dad, there you are. You know what was cool? When he started to recognize people, his brains are messed up, everything. Something got damaged besides his brains, or maybe part of his brains. His filter got damaged, his ability to filter. So here's, here's what it, my dad before the fall. My dad before the fall was a little bit stoic and distant, a little bit Mr. Spockish, right? He's a physician. He's all about this and that and numbers, but he wasn't great. He was emotionally constipated. He wasn't great. <laughs> he wasn't great at, at hugs and I love yous. And, and even when he saw you after not seeing you, it wasn't like, ah, oh, so good to be with you kind of guy. That wasn't, that wasn't my dad. By the way, it was, kind of bugged us as kids because he was so good as an obstetrician gynecologist. His patients just loved him. I'm going, well, what's to love? You know, he's kind of this cold figure because he was this emotional constipation. And so when we go up and go, Dad, it's Doug. With, after his fall, he fell in love. He looks at me and his face lights up ear to ear warm smile and I'm going who needs brains (laughs) right and and each of the kids every time anybody comes in and he recognizes them his face would light up like it never did before right and and as he gains more motor control and and he's, he's starting to get a little bit stronger and better he gives hugs last time we went and visited him he's he's come so far by the way his grandchildren 
This is the distant cold grandpa. Right? By the way, and I would tell my kids, he loves you. He loves you. He just can't get there. He can't say it out loud, but you need to know something. Your grandfather absolutely loves you. Right? So when Molly goes up there, and Molly, and his face lights up, there was some healing for her in that. Right? The hug. The moment where my, my dad says to my daughter, Molly, what are you doing for fun these days? By the way, he's not going to remember the answer. But it felt so good to her. It was, there was some healing in it, right? When I hugged him the last time I saw him last week, Dad, he just gives me a big hug and he pats my back, right? And it just kind of hugs me close. His face is against mine. That, we don't do that in the Mathers, right? And then he, Lori gives my wife a hug and he kisses her cheek, right? And then we're back now. Okay, Dad, we'll see you. And he's going, right? Oh, my goodness, right? And it felt so good. And it still does. Now, as he recovers, I'm kind of praying that filters don't come back. (laughs) They probably will. But here's the thing. It's character. And I started thinking to myself, I know, I know, someone's last night said, Doug, you are not emotionally constipated. I said, no, not to you, right? But just the love piece. Do I light up like that for other people? Or do I have all kinds of filters? How are they behaving? What have they said? What's my relationship with them like? What, who do they think they are? Are they easy to talk to? Do I like them that much? All those filters get in the way of whatever, or am I going to be cool if I overexpress my, well, I got to step ahead of them and how close... You know, well, they think I'm weird. All that stuff. And I started to realize, I don't think I light up like my dad does. I think I have filters getting in the way of me being the person God wants me to be. I think no matter who I'm looking at, they're made in the image of God. They, they, whether they're following God or not, whether they agree with me or not, I think I ought to love them. And I think I ought to take great joy. And the reason I think I should take great joy in every single person and let it hit my face and let my arms go open It's because I think that's how God loves us. I don't think he's sitting back waiting for us to be good enough to put his arms out. And I think most of us think that's what God is doing. That God needs to fall and hit his head. He doesn't. Love is character. 1 Corinthians 13 puts it this way. Love is patient and kind. Doesn't that sound like character? It chooses patience. It chooses kindness. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. This is character. This isn't just something you emotional fall into. It's something you choose. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. Love is making incredible choices. It endures through every circumstance. In the end, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. When it comes to character, that should be the first one. And if you want to know where I'm challenged right now, that would be the one. Can I start to embrace people I don't necessarily endorse everything about their lives? Can I get rid of my love filter so people don't feel like they have to get through some level of accomplishment before Doug loves them and greets them and hugs them. And it starts with, with, with my kids and my wife, and it goes out, maybe even you someday. We'll see if we can get there. All right, so 
Here's where I want to go next, and this is kind of the closing thing. This is going to be the hardest part. I want you to have a conversation with God, and I'm going to tell you about some character battles that I've had all of them, and this is where the rubber meets the road and might for you. So this is, this is the chance for the Holy Spirit to say, come on, this is for you. This is also the chance for the pastor to lay a guilt trip on you. So it's up to you what you walk out with, okay? If you end up with more than two or three things that you go, oh, I, God, help me work on that, if it's more, I'll say if it's more than two, it's probably not the Holy Spirit anymore. It's probably Doug putting guilt on you. So don't take that. All right, here we, here we go. Character battles that I've had that you may have. First one we just talked about. Do I love everyone always? Do I love everyone always? I'm not talking about endorsing everybody always or their behavior or agreeing about politics or about theology. Do I love everyone always? Do I just have that pure joy? Do I take shortcuts if I think I will prosper just a little bit more? You know what I'm talking about. It's cash versus paying with a check. You know, cash prices lower because I'm not going to turn that one into the government. Pay taxes on it. It's fudging on taxes. It's anything you do that just, it's a shortcut to prosper. It's looking at your neighbor's paper when you're taking a test at school and getting the answers there. It's a shortcut to prosperity. Do I have a sense of entitlement? I've already told you I do. I think I should just be given things. I should get level five instead of level zero, instead of working my way there. And I miss out on earning the things that I get in life. Do I put others down to build myself up? Some of you are thinking, oh, that's such a middle school thing. Yeah, and it's a senior pastor thing. So figure that one out, right? I mean, I don't think we ever leave that temptation to leverage other people bad points to make us look better. Do I deny it or hide my faith? Am I faithful? Am I open? I don't mean am I jamming it down other people's throats, but I don't want to deny or hide my faith, my relationship with God. Do I minimize and exaggerate truth to my benefit? Right? When I tell a story, is it, is it full of things that never happened, but they sound good because I want to make people interested and whatever, make myself look good? Or do I tell the truth for exactly what it is? Sexual temptations. Right? Everybody in this room is a sexual person. Everybody in this room is going to have sexual temptation. And most of our sexual temptation is not God-honoring. And you know whether it's an issue and where it's an issue in your life. I'm just telling you it's a life wrecker. This is the part where kids lose respect for parents. Glory seeking. You know, am I just trying to be in my kingdom? Bigger, better, faster? Immediate gratification. Do I have the ability to say not yet to myself? Right? That's why I'm not in debt, is because we say not yet. Emotional awareness and honesty. By the way, when I'm angry, I thought I didn't say this last night. When I'm angry, is that when I lose my character? Or do I still have character when my emotions are high? Can I maintain my character through all my emotions? And am I aware of them and can name them? Because if I can't, I doubt I can deal with it. Guys, we suffer from something. We suffer from either we're happy or we're angry. And we don't know any of the colors in between. Women know 400 colors. We know three. 
We've got to get a grip on that. Fear of rejection. Am I not doing something because I'm afraid I'm going to get rejected that God wants me to do? Fear of pain. Is that keeping me? It's a battle for my character, but if I'm afraid of pain. Do I trust God that his ways are better even when I want my way? By the way, if you're in a dating relationship, I think that's the biggest battle. I know what I want. By the way, I know what I wanted. If I go back in my dating life, do I really believe God's ways are better? And let's end with, are you feeling guilt or are you feeling conviction right now? If it's guilt, put it down, and when you walk out of here, leave it behind. But if it's conviction from the Holy Spirit, then you've got to figure out what the next step is. And any of us would be happy to walk you through it, but it involves changing something. Changing something. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else. This is your character. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart is who you really are when no one else can see it and no one is looking. Now, this was a heavy message, so I just want to give you a gift of grace, and it's through music. So listen to the words, because the grace that I didn't give you is found in the song. They always get me in that false ending there. Stand up. Let's um, let's pray. God, each one of us is on this journey. Help us to walk it with grace. But help us to walk it. In Christ's name, amen.